you have a Bible, I'd like you to open that up to Zephaniah chapter 3. All right, I know that's confusing. Go to where the New Testament begins in Matthew and go back four books. And that's where Zephaniah is, okay? And we're going to be in the last chapter, chapter 3, today. Um, Before we get started, I just want to once again thank you for letting me come and speak to you this weekend. It has been a real delight for me to be here. Um, My church uh, in Lawrenceville uh, has uh, lots of adults and lots of kids, but almost no college students. And so for something that's been a big part of my life for a very long time, I miss you. And um, this has been very delightful for me to come and get to be around you. It's been energizing and encouraging to me to be here. And I am very thankful for what's going on in your campuses. And I'm very thankful that you're involved with RUF. And I hope you'll stick it out because it's really good. Okay, it's great. Um, That being said, uh, I want to jump back into what we've been talking about in terms of the kingdom. And this morning, just as a quick review... um, The first time we got together, we talked about how the idea of the gospel, the good news, is not just your own individual salvation. It's not just that you don't have to go to hell anymore. You can go to heaven or whatever. But it's much bigger than that. And it's this idea that Jesus is our king. And um, that we're moving, as we talked about yesterday, from one kingdom to another. We've moved out of this kingdom where we're at the center. We're moving to this kingdom where he is at the center. And it's changing our lives, and it's pushing us, and it's difficult, and it's hard, but it's worth it because in the end, he's going to do something far greater than just get you out of hell. He's going to fix the world. He's going to make this world right again. Um, And he's going to fix you. And uh, today, we're going to look at um, this Old Testament book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah was a prophet, and he came with this message uh, to to God's people, and the message had two parts. Um, One part... um, was about God being a judge. And, um, and we, we kind of like that, and we kind of don't like that. All right? um, we kind of like it because um, if God is a judge, that means one day he's going to bring about um, justice for those who have suffered injustice. That God is going to fix uh, the hurt things in this world. That he's going to bring about punishment for the wicked and for the evil things that have happened in this world. And we like that, especially when we think about people that have hurt us, or we think about awful people in the world who have done terrible things, people who have abused others, people who have killed others. We, we think about those type of things and we're like, yes, I want the king to come. I want the God to bring about justice in the end. Um, but then again, we don't like it because um, we find out that we're not so good. And we're part of that mess. We're part of that sinfulness, that we're inside of ourselves we're independent and we rebel against him and push back and we deserve punishment for the things that we've done and so god's justice is a is a confusing thing for us because we like it in one sense but we don't like it in another and the first two chapters of zephaniah he's talking about this he's saying god is going to come and he's going to bring justice in the world he's going to judge the world and bring justice but in the last chapter he talks about how god is also going to come and bring mercy he's going to send a king that is going to change the world and allow mercy to come forth to people. And um, in a similar sense, we like this and don't like this. Okay, Of course we like it because we think, okay, well, if I'm a mess, I'm broken, I'm sinful. You know, there are things about me that are rotten that need to be fixed and redeemed. I love the idea of this king coming and making me right with God. But on the flip side, we don't like it because we think about the people that have hurt us. And we don't want that for them. 
But the king has come not just to fix you, but to fix the world. And um, Zephaniah shows us today how the king came even to fix your heart that pushes back on his mercy. And so um, let me pray for us, and then I'll read the scriptures, and we'll dive in. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for um, this weekend, and we thank you um, that you're opening us up to your kingdom, and that we're beginning to see what you're doing in this world, and that it's far greater and more wonderful than we anticipated. Uh, Would you help us, Father, to want to be part of your kingdom today as we hear these things? And would you let Zephaniah's words about um, your kingdom that is to come uh, and your kingdom that is now um, help us? For we are a broken people that need mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name because he is the king. Amen. Zephaniah chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 14 through 20. 14 through 20. I want you to pay attention to this. This is pretty fabulous. Okay? He says this to us. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel... The Lord is in your midst, and you shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At the time that I will gather you together, for I will make you renowned And praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Um, I've gotten to go to some really good concerts this summer. I went and saw the Avett Brothers a while back, which was great. And I went and saw the Mumford and Sons, who I like as well, in Centennial Park. I think some of you went to that concert. And um, they were both really great experiences. And... um, a friend of mine from the church that I go to, another pastor there, his name's Kellett Thomas, uh, went with me to the Abbott Brothers concert. And um, we go there, and we're kind of down the front, and it's great. We like the Abbott Brothers. And um, it's this really kind of amazing thing that's happening. If you've been to a concert and you know the songs that they're singing, you know, they're singing to you, and you're like, I love this song. And you start singing, and everybody else is singing too. And it gets really loud, you know. And, and, you're, and you're, sometimes you're shouting the songs. You, you love them so much. They're singing to you. You're singing to them. There's sort of this great mojo that's going on in the room. And it's fantastic. It's just really good. And we're doing this. We're singing one of the songs, the Avert Brothers. They're singing it so loud. Like people are just like, you know, they're girls on shoulders. And they're you know, going crazy. And they're singing. And, uh, and it, it's just this really beautiful, loud you know, give and take between the band and the crowd. And my friend Kellett looks at me and he goes, this is worship. And I thought, that's exactly what it is. It's worship. 
um, th- there's this kind of synergy going on where, you know, the band is speaking and we're speaking. And, and, it's, and it's an excitement. It's a rejoicing. It's an exulting that's going on uh, with the music where you're just connected with them. And what's really kind of amazing is that in this passage, we see almost the same thing happening between God's people and God himself. It's really beautiful. Look, look at how it opens up. Um, he, he says, um, sing aloud, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O Israel. He's asking them to do this, to sing and shout. Um, and what I want you to do today, this is going to be really strange. You know, the first time I talked to you, I said, I want you to trust Jesus as the king. The second time I talked to you, I want you to embrace your awkwardness between the kingdoms. Um, yesterday, um, we talked about how... Um, we want you to continue to, to, to strive and suffer through the Christian life because of how good it is. But today I want you to do something very different, okay? And this is the application of the sermon today. I want you to sing. Because that's what he's telling you to do. And maybe not just with your lips, but with your life. Because of the king. That's the, that's the application. That's what I want you to do when you leave here today. When we finish the sermon today, we're going to sing another song. And I want you to sing it. And I want you to keep singing it in your lives as you leave here and go back to your campuses. Because of this king. That's the application. And I want you to do it for two reasons. Okay, The first reason is, is because the king is here. He's here. And this passage shows us how the king is here. But the second thing is because the king is coming. And he's going to do even more amazing things when he comes again. Those are the two things I want to look at today. I want you to sing because the king is here. And I want you to sing because the king is coming. Let's look at both of those things. First of all, in verses 15 through 17 of this passage, um, we see that the king is here. It's a present sense in which Jesus has come. Okay, The, the king has come. Listen to what he says about the king coming. Uh, in verse uh, 15 through 17, he says, um, The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. They're gone. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. And you shall never again fear evil. He's saying there's a real sense in which the king, as Jesus comes and he brings the kingdom that we've been talking about, that he is present to you now. That as we're in this life that's broken and frustrating and difficult and sad for us, that we don't face it alone. That he walks with us. He carries us. We're on his shoulders. We don't have to face our lives alone. And many of you probably feel that way. And, you know, when you're going through different things in your families and your classes and your, your friends, you feel like I'm just by myself and it's killing me. And he's saying you're not. The king is present with you in your life. He's in your midst. Um, when you face the broken world and all the hard things that come at you, you're not alone. He's with you. Um, the presence of the king does something amazing. It takes away your fear because you're not facing these things alone. Listen to what he says. He says, the Lord has taken the judgments, um, taken away the judgments against you. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst and you shall never again fear evil. Wow. He, the idea is that if this king, if he's really the king and he really has all power and he really is sovereign over the creation, and it really is a king of love. That even when things are really terrible, when even when you suffer greatly, you know that he is with you and he has your best interest in mind. And you can rejoice even when things are very hard in your life. 
Like we talked about last night, you can see your suffering not as just something, some sort of punishment. That's not what it is. Your suffering as a believer is mercy in your life that the king is giving you. It transforms the way we view all sorts of things when we think about the king being with us. Taking a, and, and it takes away the things that you fear. It takes away the things that, that, um, that causes so much difficulty. As we think about him being with us. He's not only a king that's present, but he's also a king that's powerful. Look at what it says um, a little further down in verse 17. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Um, it, it's this picture of, some, some of your translations have mighty warrior is what it's called. Like he's, he's a champion. He's strong. Um, and we talked about earlier how as we connect with him that we have strength to deal with things in our lives. We, he gives us strength in the midst of our weaknesses as we connect with him. Um, some of you may feel this way. I think this is very interesting to think about. That, that his power over us in life um, is in a way, he, he uses that power to sometimes save us from ourselves. Um, C.S. Lewis has this prayer that he says, he says, um, we pray for God's will to be done, or God will pray for our will to be done. That's a very interesting quote that he says. What, what he's saying is that sometimes God just sort of lets you do what you want to do. Um, and he does that in order to show you what life would be like if you were in control. And, and it always falls apart. And it hurts. And it causes us to run back to him because he is the one with power. He is the one who can change things in our lives. And as we connect to him, we find that to be true. Now look, this is the more amazing part of this passage. Almost the more unbelievable part. Because not only is he a king that's present with us, and not only is he a king that has power in our lives as we connect to him, but he's also a king who is passionate for you. Right now, if you know Jesus, this is how he feels about you. Listen to this. This is crazy. He says in verse 17 that he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will rejoice over you with gladness. That is I don't know about you, but you get to the point where you're like, okay, I can kind of buy that he's here. I can kind of buy that he has power. But if you really know who I am and what I'm capable of and what I've done, there's no way that he really enjoys me. But this is saying that he rejoices over you. And this language, interestingly enough, is romantic language. Okay, Um, Some of you, I'm assuming, have little girlfriends or boyfriends or maybe fiancés or whatever you want to call them. And um, you know how, like, when you first start dating somebody, you have this, like, incredible mojo. It's great. There's this connection. You're, you'll jump off a bridge for them. You'll do whatever's needed to have them in your life. You know, that's kind of, it's this just deep romance, this newlywed romantic feeling that you have towards someone, you know. And uh, as, you, as you continue in your relationship, that sort of plateaus off after a while. Um, but, but that beginning part is just, you know, it, it's just an, this amazing feeling of romance and care and love for this other person. And um, that's the language here. When he says he, I mean, like, what, what a better way to say that. When, when you're in that, when you feel that way towards someone, you rejoice over them. And now he's saying he rejoices over you. The same language is used in Isaiah. Listen to what he, listen to this. Um, Isaiah says this, he says, For as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, 
so shall God rejoice over you. That God has romantic love for you. And it doesn't stop. It doesn't plateau. Right now, he, he loves you. If you know his son, he wants you and he rejoices in you. He delights in you. He, he delights to show you his mercy in your life. That's seemingly unbelievable. And then listen to what he says. He says, um, he rejoices over your gladness. He will quiet you by his love. What does that mean? Um, I, had, I heard someone preach on this and they, they made a really good point. They said, basically, this is what that means. Is that as I say to you, God rejoices over you. He loves you with a romantic love. This is what cranks out of your mind. You're thinking, no, he doesn't. There's no way. Like, girls and guys don't feel that way about me, so I know God doesn't. You know, you're thinking, you're thinking, like, how can he love me like that when I'm the way I am? When I spend five minutes a day with him? How can he love me like that when I do the things that I do and I think the things that I think and I say the things that I say? How, there's no way. You know, when you start running off this list, like, no, no one loves me that way. He can't love me that way. And, and, and he goes, shh. His love comes to you and says, shut up. He quiets you with his love. It comes to you and says, shh. I know what your heart's saying, but this is true. I really feel this way for you. In my son. I'm... Look at my son. His throne is a cross. That's why I rejoice over you. My, king, my son is a king whose throne is a cross. He's willing to lay down his life because I love you and I rejoice over you as my people. And then he says the most astounding thing in the next verse. He says, I, he will exult over you with loud singing. Uh, how many of you have ever had anybody sing to you? There's somebody trying to do it at the campfire last night. It was. I hope it's, that's not what he's talking about. Um, um, somebody singing, singing to. It's, it's this idea that God is. He he care. He loves you and he rejoices in you and he enjoys you so much that he sings over you. He sings to you. Um. It's really kind of beautiful um, that he would be a God that would do such thing. And the word is actually shouts over you. He, he wants you and he sings over you. Um, and, you know, isn't it, isn't it crazy that at the beginning of the passage, he says he wants you to sing to him. And in the middle of the passage here, we see that as we speak, this king is singing over you a love song. Um. The guy, the skinny tall guy up here that plays guitar, uh, Caleb Thornley, um, he's a really good friend of mine. And Caleb came this summer to our church and did an internship uh, with me and uh, sort of a pastoral internship, played music, did some stuff with youth. And uh, he and I are really good friends and we have very similar tastes and things that we like. And uh, we both really like One Direction, judge not. Um, and... Uh, we went to this. We went to this uh, trip down in Florida with the youth, and we had to come back early for a wedding. And so we're driving back, and uh, we're in the car together, and uh, and we put on some One Direction. And uh, Caleb is sitting in the seat, and he starts doing this thing where he plays the drums with his fingers and sings along. That's what he's doing in the car, and um, and he starts singing the One Direction. And I'm like, you know, 
I think I can do that too. And so I start singing a little One Direction. I start playing, at least with one hand, the drum, you know. And, uh, and, and Caleb kind of is like, you know, he's singing, so I'm going to sing a little louder. And before long, we're just like belting it out in the car. It's fantastic. You know, we're just singing it out. No, you know, nothing holding us back. You know, it's safe. Me and Caleb are safe in the car. And we're singing in One Direction to one another. Nobody's judging us. It's fantastic. You know, and there's this sort of synergy that's going on between us. You know, he's singing, so I sing. So he sings, so I sing. And that's the picture here. Except no one direction, okay? <laughs> the picture here is there's this synergy between God and you. Where he sings over you because he loves you. And he's willing to send his son to die for you. And so you sing over him. And he says he sings you, sees you singing. He delights and he sings over you. And that's worship. There's this synergy that happens. It, it, it's, it's as we're meant to be. And as the kingdom comes and it's pressed in on you, that's going to keep going. And it's going to become better and better and better. And the closer you get to the king, the more you'll sing. And the more you'll hear him singing in your life. Oh, it's transformative that the king is here. He's present. He has power to change your life. And he's a king who is passionate for you in ways that you, we can't even imagine. So that's the first thing. that the king, There's a reality that right now in your life, if you know Jesus, that this king is here and he's a king we should sing to. But there's also this sense in the passage where it talks about the future and about Jesus being a king that is coming as well to do things that are not yet done. And that's found at the end in verses 18 through 20 where he, um, he says this, um, I will gather those of you in the future. I will, I will gather those of you who mourn at the festival so that you will no longer And behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. And at that time, I will gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. He's, he's saying this. He's saying that in the future, the king is going to come again. And he's going to fix the world. He's going to fix all this that is broken. All this that's screwed up in our world. All the difficulty. He is going to fix it. He's going to take away injustice. Everything that's wrong in this world. All the things that are evil will be undone. Um, He will heal the lame. Those who are hurt. Those who have suffered all their lives. Those things will be no more. They They will have bodies that will work. Um. He will bring in the outcast. Those of you that have felt all your lives like I am just on the fringe. People don't know me. I don't feel like I fit in. I, I can never get in the inner ring. I, I'm excluded. I was picked on. I was bullied. All those things that you feel that you felt in your life will be no more. He's going to take those away. And you'll live in a world, in a place where it's fixed. And there's no one that's lame. And there's no one on the outside looking in. We're all on the inside because of this king who has made it that way. And then he says the most outstanding thing. He says, um, I will gather those of you who mourn at the festival so that your arms over reproach. And then in verse 19, he says, I will change their shame into praise and renown. He's saying that we all know what shame is. You know, shame is this feeling that we have not met some standard, that we've not done what we should do, and we're shamed because of it. Um, and it hurts, and we feel this way all the time in our lives. And he's saying that in the end, Jesus is going to take that feeling and change it in your life to the opposite. Praise and renowned. You know how it feels to be praised because you've done what you should do. And renowned because you're great at what you've done. 
And as we connect with the king, he's going to change those things in your life. We're, we're, he's going to fix the world um, where those things will be as they're meant to be. And not only is he fixing the world, he's going to fix you as well. Um, it says he's going to gather this people to himself. Uh, and he will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. He's going to change you. There's this idea that um, when, when, he, when the kingdom comes, that Jesus is going to fix your bodies. Um, I played football yesterday, and uh, um, my body this morning has basically said this to me. Why did you do that? You're not, you're not 25, okay? Don't ever do that again. You, you, you know, take the medicine and don't do it again. That's what my body's been saying this morning. And there's going to come a day where that's not going to be true anymore. We'll have bodies that will work. They will be fixed. They will be healthy. We don't get sick anymore. There's no disease. I have a good friend of mine. Um, when I used to live in Macon, there, I had a neighbor. Or, and um, it's this young lady about in her late 20s, her husband. They have two children. And... Um, a very healthy woman, exercised all the time, you know, used to run all the time. And um, about two years ago, she came in and her, um, her, she had this like bump on her calf after running. It started hurting. So she went to the doctor and she found out it was a tumor. She died yesterday. Um, and there's going to come a day when that's done. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more diseases. There'll be no more sadness. There'll be no more death. It's gone. It's swallowed up. The Savior of the world is going to fix it. Um, There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more regret. It'll be gone. It says He's going to restore our fortunes in the end. That we'll wake up in the morning and we'll feel like we have purpose. That we'll have destinies. That we'll, we'll long for. We will. This is one day you're going to open your eyes in the new kingdom, and you're going to enjoy everything. Everything. The king who is willing to do that is a king worth living for, and a king worth dying for. One day you're going to open your eyes and there's going to be no more comparison. There's going to be no more sadness. It's going to be fixed. Um, I don't know how many of you know who Wynton Marsalis is. He's a famous jazz trumpeter. And he did a small concert years ago in New York City in this really small venue. And uh, it was like, you know, 50 people. He's a fantastic um, musician. And so it's packed out, and there's this reporter from the New Yorker magazine that comes in to do a, you know, to write a story about him. And um, they come in, and uh, Marcellus begins the concert, and he starts playing this beautiful ballad. It's just fantastic. And uh, it's, it, people are just entranced by it, and uh, uh, just an amazing thing. And the reporter flips open his pad, and he writes down, uh, and he begins to write some notes about it, about how great it is. And um, all of a sudden, in the midst of this beautiful ballad, Somebody's cell phone goes off. Ba 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 ba, and they say Marcellus just stopped, and he gets dead quiet. Ba 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 ba. It's just awkward, you know. It's awful. And the guy flips up in his pad again, and he writes the words down: "Magic ruined." 
And um, as he's kind of sketching a little bit more, he hears the cell phone again. Bop, 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 except it's not the cell phone. It's Marsalis on his trumpet mocking it. And people start laughing. And, you know, and, and he starts doing a little riff on it. And people are laughing. And they said, in just a moment, he's back into the ballad again. And people are entranced. And the guy flips open his pad again and he writes, Magic redeemed. And that is what this king is doing. You may feel like the magic is ruined in your life. But he can fix it. And make it more beautiful than it was in the beginning. Jesus has not just come to take you out of this awful world and take you to heaven. Jesus has come to bring heaven to earth. And to fix what's broken and make it better than it ever was before. And the question is, will you sing to him with your life? Will you let your life sing to him? Will you sing to him when you're sad? Will you sing to him when you're overwhelmed, when you're burdened, when you're weary, when you're ready to give up? Will you let your heart sing to him because he is a king who is not giving up and he is going to fix and change the world? And he's singing to you. Do you hear it? Sometimes it's a sad song. Sometimes it's a happy song. But it's always a love song. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would um, help us to sing. To sing to you when life feels very broken. To sing to you when life seems like a delight. Because we know no matter our place that you are singing over us, that you are rejoicing us, that you enjoy us, that you delight in us. Because of this king, would you help us to place him first in our hearts. And to love him greatly because he's loved us so much. Help us to sing with you with all of our hearts and all of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.